Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. I am Mike. I'm here with Tommy and our special guest host for the day, Dante, also known as Chef Curry Sauce on uh, on the Pistons and also the Lions subreddit. Uh, you know, Chef has the luxury of being invested in two Detroit two Detroit sports teams who who cause him constant pain. Yeah, good uh, weekend. Great weekend. Yeah, yeah. Rather than uh, rather than only only one, like Tommy and I. So. Uh, in any event, uh, so we're here today to talk about what we have seen thus far in the season. It's only been a couple of games. Uh, that said, uh, it hasn't really been a particularly enjoyable couple of games. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we will talk uh, about, uh, you know, that of course, it, you know, in the vein of how things have gone so far, uh, Dwayne Casey, uh, you know, Troy Weaver, of course, it'll, it'll dovetail just into, into, into what went on with, uh, you know, really the roster he created. We'll talk about uh, the players that that we had spoken about tracking throughout the season in the last episode, and then we'll move on to some talk about how Blake Griffin is looking, and then uh, end with a little bit about Christian Wood and what that situation looked like. Uh, I know there's been, it seems like some uh, some confusion amongst fans as to you know would Wood have been willing to stay in Detroit or not, and we'll just talk about what evidence we have uh, for either side of that equation, but. Uh, just to start, so the Pistons have played uh, two games. Now, it, it should be noted that none of the three of us went into the season thinking the Pistons were here to win games. I mean, none of us. <laughs> I mean, Tommy and I have certainly been on record about that, and and, and Dante did not either. So uh, nothing that we are going to talk uh, say here is going to be about, well, you know, I wish that Casey had done X to, to help the Pistons win these games, or why didn't he do this because the Pistons could have won. Or, or with respect to Weaver, why didn't he assemble a roster that could win? I mean, it's like this team is rebuilding. The best possible situation is that they get the number one overall draft pick. However, in a rebuild, you're going to be losing a lot, but the idea is that you lose right. The, the idea is that you are losing while giving maximum opportunity for the development of your players. That doesn't mean uh, just throwing them into the fire and, and just putting them in any situation whatsoever, but it means giving them those opportunities and it means giving them those opportunities to make mistakes. So, uh, Basically, we've got here. I know. Uh, I know Tommy is, is kind of just uh, a little bit resigned and is generally fine if the Pistons lose. I know you don't think this is ideal. Dante was enraged. Uh, I was somewhere in between rage and depression after these two games. Yeah, it was a nice. Uh, we've gotten a lot of practice at that. So yeah. So why don't you take it away? What do you think about these first two games? Well, I, I think there's uh, everything you said, Mike, is 100 percent right. So it's a rebuilding year. So none of what we're saying is in the vein of exactly like you said, I wish Casey would have done this so we could have won uh, because we like in the, in the broader sense, we want to lose. Uh, we know that they're going to lose, but the way that they did it was, I, I it felt like, I know we were talking before the, before we started recording it, it felt like a waste of my, my, my nights, to be honest, like there's losing with a rebuilding team and playing your young guys and making sure they get, you know, uh, they get that experience uh, at NBA level game speed. And then there's losing with uh, a nursing home on the court. Like I don't like, especially this last game, um, we're sitting there uh, and it's Derek Rose, DeLon Wright, Jeremy Grant, Blake Griffin, and Mason Plumlee uh, playing like the entire, almost the entire fourth quarter and all of first overtime and all of second overtime. Like I just don't, I, I don't get it, Mike. I don't know if you want to comment on that, why that could be the case. I know you were talking about that's kind of how Casey is as a coach, but why Like, why do you think we're seeing this? Uh, so, I don't know. I've, I've, got, I've got kind of a, uh, you know, a lengthy rant of my own about that. Uh, well, I just want to let Tommy weigh in here. Tommy, I know you weren't quite as upset as either of us because, in, you know, of course, whatever happened in those games, the Pistons did lose. And I know, I know that's that's really what you're most focused on in this season. But did you, uh, did you have any other thoughts? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> losing is obviously uh, the most important thing to me. I'd be more upset if we'd won those games and the young guys, even if they've gotten a little bit more opportunity, there's a balance that you need to strike there, obviously, but there's a lot of talent in the next couple of years. And uh, I'm already looking at like three guys that I'd like the Pistons to have a shot at next year. So being a bottom team is still the priority for me, but at the same time, I want the young guys to have maybe not necessarily thrown into the fire, but the correct amount of opportunity. Uh, I feel like the only one who's gotten enough opportunity is Killian Hayes, and 
I mean, we've talked about in the last couple episodes, I would prefer to see him off the bench in some cases or take him off the ball, put him at shooting guard so he can develop some of his skills instead of trying to do everything at once because I feel like he's being overwhelmed uh, by everything he has to do. And uh, coming from a much weaker league, I feel like he's not ready. Uh, so there are other guys like Sadiq Bey, uh, especially, who I think has starting capability. Maybe not right this second, uh, but within a couple of years, he has a very polished game. Uh, and as a role player uh, that he projects to be, I feel like he has a lot less that he needs to work on to be a capable NBA player right now. So I'd like to see him get more. And guys like Stewart, even like we were talking a little bit before, like why did he not get any minutes? And I know that they said they wanted to play Seiko with the five this year. And I'm probably more understanding of it than you guys. Uh, Cause I feel like Stewart just from the situation that he came from in Washington, where he was like handling the ball a lot, a lot of post possessions and then playing almost exclusively zone defense coming from that to an NBA offense where you have to switch on the perimeter uh, post game is not, it's not a priority. I feel like he wasn't ready. There were times in the games in preseason where he was two feet in the paint, not guarding anybody for like upwards of five seconds. And that's a technical every time. So I feel like he's not ready. And I think Casey is keeping him on the bench because of that. But at the same time, I feel like I'd like him to get something. So that's where I'm at. I still want the losses more than anything. So as long as we lose, I still feel pretty good on the night, but I guess that's, that says a lot about the state of Detroit sports is that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> oh yeah. I think yeah. we all, I think we all want them to lose. My issue is I, like if, if with Dwayne Casey, right. Okay. So you're in a tight game with the, with the bottom feeding calves, honestly, I know they're three and all, but I'd bet my whole bank account, they're not going to scrape the playoffs, right. It's not just not going to happen. So, yeah. okay. It's great to lose these games. It's great to lose the games, especially to teams that are going to be in contention for those high draft picks as well. So I think we're all on board that losing is a priority. What I don't understand is why you would then take out your developmental pieces, put in the veterans who are just going to lose anyway. Because I know, Tommy, you talked about how it doesn't look like Killian is ready. And I, I agree with you. He hasn't been, you know, <laughs> to say he's been nothing special is an understatement. I think he's been almost actively bad. Uh, but, you know, Derek Rose turned the ball over, what, three, four times in a row in crunch time against Cleveland? Like, Killian can do that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, I don't, it, it just, it defies all conventional logic to me. And uh, I think Weaver's done uh, quite the job of kind of reshaping the roster. But when you sign guys like DeLon Wright, Mason Plumley, you know, Dwayne Casey is the kind of coach where he's going to go out and try and win every game. I don't, I don't think Casey's on board with the tank. Like he wants to win. Um, on a game-by-game -game basis. So when he has those options available, he's going to opt for the veterans, as we've seen like with his time in Toronto too, almost every single time. Um, and that's just not conducive, in my opinion, to player development. I, I'm not an NBA coach. I'm not Dwayne Casey. I don't know what he sees in practice. Um, but I, I've played, like me personally, I've played sports at a high level pretty much my whole life. And I can tell you that there's nothing like in-game experience when you're moving up to a higher level of play. And it's usually the speed of the game that you need to adjust to. So I'm not sure what Killian is learning watching Derrick Rose dribble the ball off his foot in double overtime, um, as opposed to what he might learn actually being out there doing things himself. Same with Sadiq Bey, same with Isaiah Stewart, same with, you know, Sekou Dumboya, who I know he rolled his ankle, but uh, six minutes, seven minutes, whatever he got. I, I just, I don't think it's excusable for a rebuilding team. I don't, um, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I had been thinking that, 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 that there were no redeeming qualities whatsoever about that game. Uh, you <laughs> did note the single redeeming qualities that the Pistons lost. Yeah. They lost the Cavaliers in particular. That is the only thing, but the game was just one of the, the first two games the Pistons have played have been two of the most distressing games I have ever watched ever. And, and, I was, you know, part of it is just that I was really excited for the season. It's like, okay, you know, we've we finally got a team that's that's on a rebuild and they're going to do the right thing. Like, the free agency was tough for me because I was like, this is not right. This is not really – I really don't think this is how it should have been handled. Mm -hmm. I, I think that you have – you know, what you do in a typical rebuild. Uh, and I think it's, it's the typical plan because this, this is the best way to do things, in my opinion. You – 
feel with a, a roster that's that's going to give maximum opportunity to your own, your young players while at the same time having enough of a veteran presence to keep it steady and maybe not be too terrible. You can do that by just signing veterans to, you know, to short-term contracts. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into this, whatever the case, I'll get into this when we, when we talk about Weaver a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So I was disappointed at that. And then I went into the season, I've watched these two games, it was even more disappointing. Like nothing about these games made any sense as far as what on earth are the Pistons possibly trying to accomplish with what Casey is doing right now. I I found myself pining back to the days in which the Pistons were incompetently trying to win every year by just, you know, shooting for the sixth, seventh, eighth seed because it was stupid. But at least you looked at it and you can look at what was going on in game and you say that even though maybe it's being coached poorly, we know what they're trying to do. What they're doing makes sense. At least they're trying to win games, even if the coaches are often doing stupid things. Yeah, it's a direction. Yeah, it's a direction. In this case, it's like you're not trying to win games. Your team can't win games, and you're not playing your young players. Yeah. Like, what yeah. on? Yeah, like what could you possibly be doing here? And why do we have to suffer as fans under such, you know, hideous ineptitude from, uh, ineptitude. you know, certainly from the coaches? Like uh, the exact word I would use. Ineptitude. Yeah, like uh, yeah. like just it was just this. It was just this this very strange. Like I understand I have no control over what happens in sports, but this was just this very palpable sense of powerlessness. It's like please give us competent people in charge. And what you said about Casey, absolutely right. If he has his veterans, he will lean on them. He did this in Toronto constantly, and this he he I believe wrongly gets a reputation as a developer of players. Yes, players did develop under his watch in Toronto, and yes, some of them did credit him. But basically, that bench mob. Uh, who became the you know, a lot of whom became part of the future core of Toronto, like uh, you know Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Dwight Powell, Jakob Pertl, who got sent over to to San Antonio in the Leonard trade, and uh, who am I forgetting here? I'm forgetting somebody, but whatever the case, oh, Delon yeah, right. that's who I'm forgetting. Ironically, <laughs> so those guys got their shot when Masai Ujiri, the highly competent general manager, or I think president of basketball operations, whatever, uh, of of the Toronto Raptors in in Casey's final season wiped the roster clean of his bench veterans. The only veterans left on the team who were going to have a place in the rotation were DeRozan and Lowry, of course, Serge Ibaka, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, and CJ Miles was the only bench veteran left. So more or less, Casey had, Casey had no choice but to play these young players. Uh, that was also the season in which Masai, like basically Casey had before, before that season, just played a, a really, the kind of offense you see in Detroit, basically. Super unimaginative, super rigid, Really not creative at all. Very predictable, and and based around one-on-one offense by, uh, in in that case, by Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan, mm-hmm. and it just you know it, it really didn't work. And that final year, Masai said, "Okay, well, you know, of course I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it's more or less well, like okay, you're not running the offense this year. We're running a new offense, and Nick Nurse, who was the assistant coach at the time, is going to do that. And the Raptors had their best season ever." And those young players got to play in a real offense rather than just kind of standing around while the veterans just did ISO after ISO. And, and that strategy didn't work, by the way. It was just, it became a meme in Toronto. What did they call it, Tommy? And, uh, oh, the secret plays. The secret plays, right. <laughs> the ISO, uh, yep. It was DeRozan yeah. ISOs. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, this was, uh, you know, just, just from a, an instance in which the Pistons were involved. This was uh, 2016, 2017. The Pistons came back from like an 18-point deficit against the Raptors in the fourth quarter. Yep. And that was because Toronto's plays were isolation, 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 isolation. And this lasted for about the last five minutes of the third and the entire fourth quarter. And the Raptors could, you know, this is the offense tanked. So, so in that season, uh, the young players got to play as part of a part of a real offense. Uh, but whatever the case, that was also the year in which the, the Raptors were the best regular season ever. So that date and Casey won coach of the year. Uh, and then just went back to all of his old bad habits in the playoffs and got fired. And Nick Nurse came over, uh, came in, and whatever you want to say about his roster, and sure, Golden State had these injuries, but he won a championship. And then he won the Coach of the Year award that he had more or less won already in 2018, in 2017, 2018. So uh, just this is what Casey does. Uh, he, he's, it, this is not a matter of this is the first two games of the season. It is the first two games of the season, but this is what Casey does. And and we have an, we have a very long history to demonstrate that he will he will lean on his veterans he will run an unimaginative offense and if he has veterans who can ISO he's that's going to be the primary feature of his offense and that's what we've seen it's Griffin it's Rose it's Griffin it's Rose and one of them is going to be on all on the floor at all times and those are awful players to have around in a rebuild not because of their character they're good guys by all accounts and and maybe be decent mentors but they're not system players they're guys who focus on one on one offense and they don't play in a system 
and and that's but they're the guys who are going to get who are going to get the opportunities under Casey. So, but yeah, just watching him field, you know, all these veterans at, at the end of a close game, you know, where it'd be a meaningless win, and the Pistons don't really want to win it, and the Pistons are a bad team anyway. It's like it, it's like you guys said, you've you've got to put these players, you've, you've got to you've got to give them the opportunity. Of to, course, you know, of course, yeah, just to see what they can do. And with Casey, it seems to be like, oh, they have to win. They have to earn their minutes. Like they got some minutes because he played really hard in practice. And it's like, dude, this is not how it works for you. For you, yeah. Dwayne Casey, the veterans lose minutes. That's what they do. They don't, the, the young guys don't earn them. And, you, and it's a fucking rebuild. Pardon the language. You want these players to begin these opportunities. You do not want them to have to really work hard to earn their way into the lineup. Sure. Well, so. look at the Cavs. Look at Isaac Okoro. Didn't score a single point. Plays what, 40 minutes? And yeah. they won. And it's like, I can't imagine that, you know, Isaac is going home and he's like, oh man, like, I, I wish, uh, <laughs> I wish they kept me on the bench so I could have sat and learned. Like, he doesn't care that he scored zero points. He got to play in an NBA game. And I think that's more valuable than, you know, th- sitting on the bench and watching. And then, and then maybe that's just my own experience, uh, you know, playing sports, talking, but I, I don't see any scenarios in which no playing time in meaningful games, in crucial situations results in good player development i i don't i I think it should be out there you've invested in them three first round picks let them go out there and play yeah and uh i legitimately like i've watched a lot of nba basketball i have never ever 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 seen a rebuilding team do anything like that like your 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 rebuilding teams you see in the nba they are generally fielding uh they're generally fielding young players in leading roles in their starting lineup usually multiple young players in leading roles in the starting lineup uh, and off the bench, I have never seen a team, uh, it, an ostensibly rebuilding team that is not aiming to win, play five veterans, you know, down the stretch of a close game, <laughs> like for, for like the last five to eight minutes of the fourth, and then for both overtimes. overtimes. <laughs> yeah, it, it did not make the slightest lick of sense. And for me, it's kind of like a heading exploding moment where it's like, oh why? God, yeah, yeah it, it's like it's like a development year. This is the simplest thing. Why can't the Pistons do this? How hard is it not to screw this up? It's not hard. Yeah. It's not hard. And that's a, that's a bit of a fault of Troy Weavers, if we're being honest, because it's like you said, Mike, yeah, you do need some some semblance of a veteran presence. You can't just put, uh, you know, 10 guys on your roster who, who are just fresh out of high school. But at the same time, those veterans that you bring in, they don't necessarily have to be of starter or fringe starter quality, which would allow a coach like Casey to to then play someone like DeLon Wright for 48 minutes or however long he played. It's just ridiculous. And I know we were talking before the podcast too. I'm sitting uh, watching this last game with my dad. And I remember when I saw the lineup that was still out there for the first overtime, I got this this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like, what are we, why? What, <laughs> yeah. what, what is this? And I said it to my dad and I'm like shaking my hands and he's like, you need to relax. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, but I hate it. No, but I, but I hate what I'm looking at. I hate it. And I, I was proven correct because not only did you not pick up the win, which I guess is good in the long run, you you're, you're, uh, you guys get it. Even the <laughs> veterans play like shit. Yeah. And they, here's they the thing terrible. is that they play terrible. Yeah. yeah. It's like Casey wants to talk about having, and this is just another irritating wrinkle about, about Dwayne Casey. It's, it's like, number one, just the, the defaulting the veterans is, is just dumb in my opinion. It's dumb and it's, and it's, and it's, it's inexcusably stupid in the context mm-hmm. of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's like clearly your veterans don't have to earn anything. <laughs> no, it's like you're no. just going to send Rose and Griffin uh, on endless ISOs and watch them blow a ten was like a ten point lead. Well, in, for, in, for uh, in regulation himself. and then in overtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, it's like it's like well they can do whatever they want. Like clearly you're not you're not muzzling them at all. It's just the thing. It's like it's like Dwayne Casey when he was fired by the Raptors, his his limitations were known, were very known, and and it was just the case of the Pistons snapping up somebody. You know, just I think that was Tom Gores, honestly, who saw, oh my God, we're trying to compete. We got Blake Griffin, coach of the year. Yeah, baby, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, because there was no big market for Casey. He had just won coach of the year. The Pistons were were really, they were pretty late in firing Stan Van Gundy. And, and Dwayne Casey was still available. He was not snapped up by a team. No. And he, yeah, he talked about, oh, I was planning on taking some time off, but Tom Gores really talked to me and sold me on his vision of the Pistons. It's like, dude, Tom Gore has sold you on your vision of your bank account being $30 million larger. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So There's not even a vision here at this point, especially with what we saw in the court. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what the vision is. 
I don't know. Are you trying to understand anything? What do you, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's like, I I empathize absolutely with you with not being able to just, you know, just relax because it's like watching that, you know, because it's like, we've been dealing with this for such a long time with the Pistons and now they're finally rebuilding and a rebuilding year is the easiest thing. It's just a development year. Why, how hard is it not to screw this up? So, well, I've, I've told all, all the people that I speak to about, you know, I've, I've left comments and, you know, even on Twitter, whatever. I would gladly watch them go 0 and 82 if it, and I'd watch every single game if it yeah. means that I'm watching Killian Hayes, Josh Jackson, Svima Kailuk, Sekou Dumboya, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. It's okay if we lose and you're act- because, you know, you've got these fans who are so invested in the team, you're actively watching these players develop every single night when they're out there like the Grizzlies did with John ja Morant, right? I know he was a super high draft pick, but you toss him out there, you see how it goes. You make it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. 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 So I'd watch them go 0-82 if it meant I got to see the players that I've invested time, you know, into discussing and imagining what their future might look like. If I get to watch them actually go out there and do meaningful things. But instead, I'm spending my Saturday night sitting and watching – Derek Rose dribbled the ball off his foot four times in a row. And I, you know, I love Derek. We all do. I think he's, I think he's a great player. Um, but it's just not, not only is it not fun, it's, it's worse than not fun. It's directionless. It's so wholly and completely pointless. It's a waste of NBA minutes that you could be giving to these guys who need it. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. We saw yesterday, Casey come out and say that. That oh, it's a failure this year if I don't get uh, you know if I don't get a lot of minutes for for Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay. Oddly enough, you forgot about Seku. But um, <laughs> in any event, uh, it's like I, I I've seen a lot of people hypothesize this, and I think it's probably accurate that I, I think he got a talking to from the front office he must have. <laughs> because because suddenly Rose and Griffin are out also, and and uh, and, and Griffin is out on what is not a back to back. Maybe they, uh, whatever. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, I think you're right. Know, yeah, I think he also right. came out afterward. Yeah, and he, he, he was he, saying all those things in his post presser about, oh, well, you know, it's a failure on me if I don't feed these guys minutes, and it's like, well, you just, you just didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. You for literally, two days. just didn't do the thing that you said you're supposed to do. So clearly, there's some intervention, right? Because if you're Troy Weaver, you come in, you blow, you blow this team up, rightfully so, in my opinion. Whether you agree with all the moves he's made or not, at least he's doing something. Like he came oh, but he had to qualify. He had to qualify. He came out and said, "He came out and said, oh, but you know that that development may not happen on the floor." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in any events, Tom, I know we haven't heard from you in a long time. I know we've. Uh, I was actually working there. To bring up that exact tweet that you just mentioned because yeah. I, I think I when we talked, I said I'm going to wait a few games to see what he does. Maybe he like slowly brings these guys into the lineup, and it and it kind of happened. Um, we do play a back to back with this Atlanta game, and then. Uh, there's one more, I think, on Tuesday. So, I mean, maybe we'll see more of that. I don't, I don't think – they didn't pull Rose and Griffin out for back-to-backs last year, I don't think. So, I, that's something. Um, Casey's not the kind of guy – and maybe that's why I've been, I don't know, fairly calm about this. But Casey's never been the guy to just give minutes to, you know, his young guys. And I know that we'd all like to see that, but he has a method and he sticks to that. And I, guess, I don't know, maybe I just – I think about that and I understand it. Uh, I'm not, I don't like it. I would obviously just the same way as you guys, I would prefer to see these guys get way more minutes. I would prefer it be closer to like a 50, 50 split, like have your veterans play and then give your young guys extended minutes off the bench and then have a good mix of uh, young guys and vets uh, playing in crunch time. If that, if that's what happens. And uh, of course I, I agree with you, you know, this hasn't been ideal. But I think they're starting to trend in the right direction. And that's kind of been the story of Troy Weaver. Uh, you know, I know we don't like a lot of the moves that he made this offseason. And uh, I think we'll talk about that more if we talk about Christian Wood. I mean, let's, but, let's, go, let's go straight into that right now. What do you, I mean, I know we, we haven't yet on this podcast talked at length about Weaver's, about Weaver's uh, just decisions throughout free agency. I mean, we've gotten to see the team on the floor for a couple of, uh, for a couple of games. Again, neither of us care about, about this team winning, but just as far as how this team functions and also in the context uh, of giving that opportunity and giving that best environment for the younger players to grow up in. So what are your thoughts about that, Tommy, so far? I'll start by saying that we received intent on spending all of our money uh, to the point where it cost us some flexibility next year and 
you know, some stretched contracts later, you know, five years of dead money in some cases. So in that way, uh, I'm kind of happy that he didn't bring back Christian Wood because I think we would have brought or won a lot more games. Um, I think guys like Christian Wood are like the future meta of the NBA. Uh, guys who are very mobile, attack the basket hard, but can stretch the floor. Uh, that's extremely useful, you know. It's not just like it's not those guys like Curry who they just have so much off ball gravity that they make everybody around them better. It's you've opened up the paint, you have another target on the perimeter to kick out to, and that's a guy who's very capable of taking it inside. Now you look at what Weaver's done. He's brought in three guys who uh, Plumley, Stewart, and Okafor. These guys are not known for being uh, rim runners or guys who can catch the lob really well. Uh, these are guys who mostly focus on post moves. Plumlee is, he's not a super athletic player. He's just, you know, he has to learn his teammates and then he can pick their spots and he can play smart. But Christian Wood could just brute force it. He was just so talented and he had so much natural athleticism. He was able to, I think he would have been a much better pick and roll partner for Killian. Oh, no doubt uh, about that. No doubt about that. <laughs> totally better for their development. Uh, I think that results in a lot more wins. I mean, we've had two really close losses now, but what if those were two wins? And if Troy Weaver, you know, is intent on maybe, maybe he doesn't, he's not able to afford Jeremy Grant at that point, but maybe there's another uh, small four with the leftover. Let's say that it would have cost us 16 million to get uh, Christian Wood. The combined cost of Plumley and Grant was 28. So that's another, what, 12 million that you can spend mm -hmm. on a, a decent small forward who's probably going to take minutes away from the young guys. I mean, I think that team wins a lot more games. Weaver has hard capped the the level of play that we can put on the floor by making our last line of defense at the five guys who are unathletic and can't move well. So in that sense, we're going to lose games because of that. And, and in that way that I'm happy, but if I could have chosen to just keep Christian Wood and just shirk on a bunch of other positions so that you just have, you know, role players on the perimeter that you can kick out to and a good pick and roll combo in Killian Hayes and Christian Wood. I would have preferred that. Me but too. If Weaver is intent on winning with Christian Wood, I think we'd be a much better team. And that really hurts our rebuild. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Well, I, I think one thing you're saying is that sure we're going to lose a lot now. I, I think the sure that's that's entirely probable. I would say, but the unfortunate thing is that it didn't happen by design so much as just Weaver making a lot of mistakes. I mean, the team would have been bad anyway. There's nothing you could do in free agency that would have made this a winning team. But but having you know having three traditional centers and just having just just what's the mess of the roster right now with a ton of veterans? I mean, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of games, but you're not going to lose a lot of games, I think, because Weaver looked at this and said, okay, here's a roster that's going to lose a lot of games. I don't think, I don't think he looked at it and said, well, I want to spend a crap load of money, all of our cap space and flexibility, and stretch a bunch of salary so that we can lose as many games as possible. That's something you can do without spending any cap space at all, or very little, you know. But, yeah, the, the team looks like a mess, of course, and... Uh, I don't agree that the, the Pistons would have would have won a great deal more with Christian Wood. Sure, he would have been better. He's still operating in a Griffin offense where he's going to be the marginalized member of the front court. And you can't really get much on the free agent market. There's just like $10 million. Uh, you know, that would get you, you know, I, I would guess your best. I mean, it, there's one thing, the free agent crop in this, in this offseason is weak, like very weak. Maybe it gets you Jay Crowder. And Jay Crowder is not a needle, needle mover. I mean, if anything, he'd be absolutely a Weaver player, kind of like an you know an athletic forward who who plays really hard in this defense. But I, I just I don't think that maybe the Pistons would be one and one right now. But that's still a bad team. I agree, he's a vastly better pick and roll partner than 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 Plumlee. Plumlee is not a bad pick and roll scorer because he's a decent scorer from he's actually a pretty efficient scorer from beneath the basket. But he can't pop. He's not a lob threat, and you're not going to get him the ball three feet away from the basket and watch him score with it efficiently or anywhere near as efficiently as Christian would. So. Yeah. Let me re let me clarify. I don't think this was some like incredible balancing act that Weaver is doing where he's like, well, I want to, you know, make it so that we're bringing in these high character guys while still losing enough games. I think his, his ultimate goal was just bring in guys that he knows are high character. And that was paramount for this year. And in doing so he's brought in three traditional centers that yeah. are probably going to help us lose games, but yeah. Oh no. I, I know you, I, I know you weren't saying I, you did it. I would rather just lose yeah. the games. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know you weren't saying that he, that, he, that he had done it deliberately. I'm saying it's it's unfortunate that <laughs> I'm saying that uh, I, I'm saying that it's it, it would be for you. I know, I like I, I respect your viewpoint that it's like you're going to lose games and 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 that's really what you're looking for. And great for me, it's like I, I don't think it's any consolation that are or really any. You know, it is not heartening that the, really it was more that the, just the GM stumbled into this situation through his mistakes. Through my opinion, their mistakes. So, Dante, what were your thoughts about what we saw from Weaver in the offseason? Um, there, there were there were moves that I liked and there were moves that I didn't, which I think is probably similar to you two. So something like, you know, Josh Jackson, for example, that's great. Like, that's exactly the type of thing that you want to see out of a rebuilding team. It's like, okay, here's a young guy who's got the draft pedigree. He hasn't put it all together for whatever reason, but let's take a flyer on him and let's make sure it's not just a one-year deal in case he pops. We'll do like a cheap, because it's a two-year deal, right? I think two years, 10 million. Yep. Josh Jackson. Yeah. So those are the moves I like. Um, Being aggressive in the draft and like attacking the draft, like he said, I know it cost us some future flexibility, but at the same time, the more dart throws you get at the board, the better chance you have of, of, you know, hitting the bullseye. Right. So in my opinion, uh, the more draft picks you can get, the better. So th- those are things that I like. Um, Mason Plumley, I, I know he had a really good game, game one and a decent game two. Uh, I don't love it. I, just to piggyback off what you guys have said, I probably would have preferred to see Christian Wood and, and Tommy, I, I disagree a bit. I don't think he would have raised our, our win ceiling that significantly because he's a good player. Um, I don't think he's a star. Uh, and the reason I would have liked to see him is because, yeah, he's just a much more effective pick and roll guy with Killian. And honestly, he's more fun to watch. Seriously. Oh, yes. Because we sit there. All, it, this was the longest offseason we're ever going to see for the Pistons, in, in my opinion. Right. So we sit there all year waiting for basketball to come back. And now it's back. And do I want to watch, you know, Blake post up from the three point line for the whole game? Not really. Um, and a Jaleel Okafor post hook is not as exciting to me as Christian would like jumping on a trampoline and just obliterating everybody. It's more fun for me to watch. So I would have rather watched Christian. Um, it might've resulted in one or two, maybe three, four more wins. I don't think anything significant enough to affect the draft. Um, and the draft really is a crapshoot anyway, like the lotteries, uh, right. The Pelicans were, <laughs> they got Zion and I don't think that they were anywhere close to the worst team in the league that year. So I, that's that's how I feel about free agency moves. I liked moves I didn't, and I do kind of question: Is this a full scale rebuild? Is it a retooling? What exactly are we doing? Um, and what we saw on the court the last game is probably the biggest question because the, I think it's a bit of an indictment of Troy if he really wants these young players to be developed, and yet he goes out and signs someone like Delon Wright because you have to know your coach and you have to know that if you put Delon Wright within 100 meters of Little Caesars Arena, you know, 100 miles of Little Caesars Arena, he's going to play, and he's going to play a lot when Dwayne Casey's your coach. So that's that's kind of been the story of Troy for me. Good moves, bad moves, and I'm willing to take them as they come and evaluate them on a one-by-one basis. Uh, but overall, I, I guess I'd lean more towards I like them so far, but I do question some of the moves. That, that's yeah, I really quickly defend my Christian Wood stance. Go for <laughs> Go it. Ahead. Go for it. <laughs> remember when we first traded for uh, Blake Griffin? Yeah. Uh, yes. Unfor- unfortunately, I do remember that day. I, do. I was at the first game. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was, dude. I, I, was I wasn't very happy. happy. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, I, I think it would be more accurate to say that, that I was enraged. Had. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that too. Uh, one of the things that we said was it was a horrible fit, Drummond and Griffin, because they operate in the same space. Yep. Christian Wood doesn't do that. And that's why it's not just the fact that he can space the floor. It's the space that he's taking up is not the paint. Whereas with Plumlee, he can't, he's not pulling anybody away from the paint. Like I, I was studying uh, Bam Adebayo's game because he doesn't have a jump shot. He's just a really, really athletic rim runner. But he spaces the floor with his passing. When he walks away from the basket, you have to keep a defender on him because he's a really good passer. And Miami cuts really hard. They work really hard. So that's where he's lethal, and that's how he's able – to pull guys out of the paint. Christian Wood does that. He's not the passer, obviously, but he's enough of a spacing threat that you're opening up the paint. It's wide open. And again, I don't think this was some genius tier move from Weaver where he was like, well, if I sign three traditional centers, uh, we're going to be inherently worse because these guys are going to be, you know, 
operating inside the paint, taking up that space. I'm just saying, I think we would, I think we would have been a lot better with Christian Wood. I think he makes us a lot more athletic. Uh, he's a much better fit next to Killian and Griffin because Griffin, I mean, I know he hasn't looked very good this year, but he still can post up. He's done that a little bit. Jeremy Grant has done it a little bit. I think Sadiq has even been attacking the paint a little bit. Uh, with Plumlee there, that gets a lot harder because Plumlee's defender is going to stay in the paint with him. So that I, I know I'm a lot higher on Christian Wood than you guys, but I spent the whole summer, this extended offseason, just re-watching those last 10 games from Christian Wood because I was just so amazed by his game and how I feel like it's underrated. And wow. I know that people are just going to say it's, it's just because he's playing with James Harden in Houston, but he already dropped – uh, what 31 points that's one point shy of his career high and we didn't even run offense for him last year this was just him creating for himself so I'm I'm really high on him there's there's players in next year's draft that kind of look like him and I'm high on that guy too uh, and I hope that that I mean as long as we're talking about Weaver I hope Weaver understands the value of stretch fives because I don't think I don't think everybody realizes how how great that is for your team. So oh, I, I think that's you know, something I, that he focuses on. Yeah, I, I think that, that that play. I think that people are uh, that certainly general managers. I think are fully aware of it. Like your your best centers these days are guys who, who at the very least can can create off the dribble or preferably can shoot threes. And and like it, you know, you had Greg Popovich come out a couple of years ago after the after the rules changes in twenty eighteen and say basically it's impossible to defend a defense that runs five shooters now. Just with, with freedom of motion plus plus the force stretching. So about Christian Wood, I don't think that he's that much of a floor raiser. That's my thing. I think that's, he's a very good player. I agree I just, too. I think he's a ceiling raiser. I don't think he's a floor raiser. He's very much of a floor raiser. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, but with uh, with respect to to what you're saying about how it would have been easier for the rookies, I mean, that's a good thing if it would have been easier for the rookies. It is not a good thing for Killian Hayes that, for example, that he's driving into inherently into double or triple coverage because because every center he has on a team is going to, you know, any of the three of them is going to be hanging out in the paint. I mean, that's not a good thing. It's not a good yep. thing for Sadiq Bey if he if he wants to drive into the paint and he's got Mason Plumlee there and it's harder for him to get to the basket. It's not good for Josh Jackson. It's not good for any of them. It's not good for any of them that they're going to, you want these guys to succeed and, and you want them more, you know, yes, I agree that losing is good, and I'm going to say it again. I think that Pistons would have lost a ton of games anyway. I agree with Dante. Maybe Christian Wood adds four wins tops. You add four wins to a team, you're a fantastic player. <laughs> you know that's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that's that's that that's a player who's who's, who's really a big difference maker. But a big difference. What the I bottom of, bottom of the lottery? No, I don't think that does make you. I mean, as long as you're one of the sure, we know that you know if you're the last team, if you're the first place team, the lowest you can get is five. That's nice. Yeah, but. But when you when you look, you have to look. I think at this year as well, and say, well, you're trying to develop your young players this year, and it, it doesn't behoove the Pistons to be like right now. Yeah, it's it's harder for Bay. It's it's a lot harder for Killian Hayes. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be harder for Josh Jackson. It'll be harder for Sec. It'll be harder for everybody because the Pistons can't run a modern offense now. Part of that is Griffin, uh, and and somewhat less so, but still somewhat Roseman is on the floor. But part of it is that the team, the roster is a mess, and part of it is that yeah, modern offenses you do have spacing at all five positions. And, mm-hmm. and Weaver absolutely insured. And I don't think that – I think that he just personally I'm, – I'm, I'm kind of concerned he just doesn't get it. I'm just kind of concerned that he just doesn't get it, that that, that spacing at the five is important and that offense is, is the priority in today's NBA. And, and that that's, that's you know, a solid 60 65% of the game is winning on offense and not defense. You know, yeah, you have to you have to play your defense if you want to win a championship. But it's very, very important, most important to, put, to, to be a, you know, an elite offensive team. And, you know, and, and for people who want to point at Miami and say, well, they were great on defense. Miami was, in, in terms of true shooting percentage, if I'm remembering correctly, the most efficient team in the league during the regular season. So, and Spolstra is just an, an amazing coach. So, yeah, I mean, I would trade better development for the rookies for three or four more wins. Absolutely. So That's, yeah, that is, that is, there's no question in my mind about that because I would say particularly with respect to Killian Hayes, I mean, it's a terrible situation. And, yeah, you do want to give him a good role man to work with, and Plumlee is not that guy. Uh, you know, I'll, they'll say again, having Griffin on the floor is not helpful to him either. I don't think it's helpful to any of the rookies because he's just going to hog used to what I said about Griffin. That I, I think this is a year ago. I don't know if he said it on the podcast, but what he's going to do if he's here, he is going to suck usage and he is going to make the team play absolutely around him. And because uh, that's the only way he can play is you give Griffin the ball and he either drives to the basket with it, which you can't do right now, apparently. Uh, or he, 
or he goes to work in the post or he shoots a pull up three. And it's like, okay, that's fine. It's not necessarily ideal, even if you're a contender because you want to run an offense, but that that's what, that's what Griffin is going to do on a rebuilding team. And it's bad for it. It's bad for everybody. It's even worse if he helps you win games. So yeah, I, I would take Christian Wood in this situation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, hundred times out of a hundred, you know, yeah. If he wins you three or four more games, you know, maybe you come to regret that later on, but I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and like Dante said, it is more enjoyable to watch. It, it's like with the team right now, it, they're not capable of running a modern offense. And after sort of tasting that, you know, you've opened Pandora's box for Pistons fans, certainly for me, after finally getting rid of, you know, you got rid of, you don't have Drummond anymore. You have Wood, you're able to run a modern offense and the Pistons are terrible, but it is 10 times more enjoyable to watch. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. Now when it's, when it comes to Wood himself, and we'll just go over this right now, as we, I think we we're going to talk about this at the end, we'll just talk about it right now. So there's the question of would Christian Wood have remained in Detroit? And uh, I think the answer is yes. We look at the evidence. We have James Edwards, one of the Detroit beat writers, who of course has access to sources within the organization, uh, who said that very clearly after Weaver was signed for uh, roughly fourteen million dollars per year, uh, average average annual salary, I think was you know thirteen point six 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 million dollars per year. That the Pistons just weren't willing to go that high, like Weaver had said before. Uh, earlier in the offseason that that he really that Christian Wood was quote unquote a priority and that's but but that he had a figure in mind. And and of course it's it's not at all, you know, we all know it's just absolutely odd, not at all out of the ordinary for a GM to say one thing and do something entirely different anyway. Nope. So we can call Christian Wood a priority. He may not have been a priority for for Weaver in the first place. But but James Edwards says that said that the Pistons, aka Weaver was just not willing to go that high and that he preferred to spend more money on Jeremy Grant instead. And also apparently Mason Plumlee. <laughs> so, uh, and stretch, you know, about $4 million of salary for the next three years and 3 million for the next two after that. So we have that, we have Christian Wood who openly said, no, it, it is not true that I was unwilling to stay in Detroit. And number three, we have absolutely and utterly no news of any kind, not even a smidgen to the effect that Wood just wasn't willing to stay in Detroit. And that's the sort of thing that comes out. I mean, you might say, or I, you know, I have seen people say, oh, well, this is the kind of thing that, that, uh, that he's not going to say and the organization's not, is not going to want to get out. And it's like, it doesn't work this way. Things leak. You know, you hear about this stuff. It's pretty basic. Guy didn't want to stay in Detroit, so now he's gone. And I think all we have on the other side of the equation is a couple of, you know, vague Instagram comments he made months ago. So yeah, I think the guy would have stayed in Detroit. Absolutely. Do you have to maybe pay him a little bit more than you, uh, than, than Houston did? Maybe, maybe not. I'd absolutely give him $16 million instead of paying Jeremy Grant. Hell, I'd give him $20 million instead of paying Jeremy Grant. I would have too. Yeah, I would have too. I think it makes sense. No, I, I agree. Mike, if I could just jump on that too. Absolutely. And also kind of just a really quick backpedal to what Tommy said. Uh, Tommy, I agree. Like literally every single thing that you said about Christian Wood, I agree with. Um, I don't think you're higher on him than, than I, well, I can't speak for Mike, but I don't think you're higher on him than I am. I, I think we're both equally high on the quality of player he is. The only thing I think we disagree about is what that would mean for the rebuild as a whole. Um, you have no idea which way those ping pong balls are going to bounce, right, for the lottery. So at most, I think Christian Wood raises your ceiling at most, like five wins. And does that make a gigantic difference in, uh, you know, how the lottery goes? Maybe, maybe not. But like Mike said, I would take that for the better development of our players because I can't imagine Killian Hayes would have, you know, a worse time playing with Christian Wood than he would with Mason Plumlee. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I dislike the most about what Troy Weaver's done so far. I wish Christian was here. Um, you know, you saw him be the focal point last year and we were losing at a incredible rate. So I don't think his mere presence kind of amounts to all these wins. So I wish that he was here. Um, and like Mike said, there's absolutely no evidence that he wouldn't have stayed other than like what two, two Instagram comments. Yeah, they were vague too. I mean, it's, it wasn't vague. anything. All he, all he said was, yeah, number one, I want to win. Next? Where should I yeah. go next year, right? And number two, where should I go next? Yeah, and Detroit is a place that you can go. So, yeah. you know what I mean? That doesn't even preclude Detroit from being in the conversation. So I would absolutely rather have Christian Wood on this team just for my own sanity and for player development. Um, and, you know, it's I understand that he's not fresh out of college, but he's I think he's he's only 25, right? 
turning yes. 26. So that's the kind of guy, clearly, that Troy Weaver, because Jeremy Grant is the exact same age, that's the kind of guy that you wouldn't mind committing long-term money to because when the team is ready to compete, he's not necessarily out of his prime yet. He's or not. you trade him. Or you trade him. Absolutely. Or you trade him. Because, well, I guess I guess we did, right? Like, wasn't wasn't the... Yeah, it was it was a sign-in trade. But, I mean, if you have a guy who's coming out and he's, and he's playing at the level of a top-10 center, then, you know, and top-10 center isn't a big deal. I mean, there are only, like, you know, maybe five or six really elite centers in the league. Yeah, I would argue. So, but, if, but if you're a top-10 center, this is a guy you can trade for, at the very least, maybe, like, a mid-first-round pick. He's on a long-term contract. Mm-hmm. And instead of, instead of, you know, maybe more. You know, if he's playing at a higher level, maybe more. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And, yeah. But I don't think he raises your your win ceiling so significantly that it wasn't worth having him on this team. Uh, I, I think he, he can raise maybe the win ceiling on a good team, but I don't think he's oh, going to oh, really raise yeah. the wins floor on a bad no, team. Yeah, I'm sorry, I misspoke the floor. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, he, he was the he was commander in chief at the what the last 16, 17 games of the season last year. And it didn't matter. We were still losing. Like we were yeah. still losing. So like I want him here so I can have fun watching him dunk. And I want him here because I think Killian Hayes would benefit from it. But at the end of the day, he's not. And every time I go look at the box score for the Houston game, it is like you, you've twisted the knife a little bit more. It just hurts. It hurts, man. Yeah. So, There's the issue also that if what James Edwards said was true, and I think I have no reason to believe it's not true. I mean, nothing's come out to contradict it. And again, this is, you know, he's got sources in the organization. It seemed like a pretty cut and dry thing. For sure. That even if he were willing to stay in Detroit, uh, and Houston, you know, even if even if he had said, for example, well, just match Houston's offer, Weaver would have said no because Weaver didn't want to go that high for Wood. He wanted right. Grant instead. So I, I think this was just a situation. I think Weaver made a lot of mistakes, and uh, I think this was just another one of them. Like you, for example, like you guys, I think are higher on it than I am. If I look at the things I like that he did in free agency, uh, it's basically you got Josh Jackson. Like I said, that's a movie make. You take absolutely as a rebuilding team. You take a chance on on uh, untapped, underdeveloped, underappreciated talent. That was yep. a good signing. Even if it doesn't work out, that was a good signing. Yep. So I don't like. I don't really pretty much like anything else that he did. I think that Plumley was. I mean, the, the only thing. What I've said before, I think, on the last episode, is that the best thing you can say about this was that it wasn't a terrible offseason. I think you, I think I would say that it was a bad off season about Plumlee. It's like, yeah, why would you sign this guy for twenty five million dollars? And he just doesn't really provide all that much. And the only thing, the, the only saving grace of that contract is that it's not for even more money. Uh, Jaleel Okafor is useless. I mean, sure, it's a minimum contract, but you've got a guy who is what he is in college, a guy who can score well in the paint uh, on ball stopping offense, not super well, but well enough. He's not mm-hmm. a good creator, but he's well, you know, well enough. That's his only skill. You know, he's a terrible defender. He's a bad passer. And he can't stretch the floor. He's a decent role man, but nothing special. He can't play above the rim. You know, why is he here? And uh, Wayne Ellington, sure, he's, he's yet another veteran presence. I mean, I guess that's nice. If he doesn't play, fine. Uh, but, you know, it just, just goes on and on stretching salary and year one of a rebuild, getting rid of all of the calf flexibility that can be used toward purposes conducive to a rebuild, acquiring assets. And, and then it comes to Jeremy Grant, who is the guy that we got instead of, instead of Christian Wood. And I don't see the upside there for the Pistons. It's like you bring him in. Sure, he's a good defender. Sure, he's a good three-point shooter. And Denver is a good 3 and D and finish player. Uh, though the narrative that he walked down the likes of Kawhi and LeBron and, and so on and, and the playoffs is not true. They still played well against him. They just didn't go supernova. Mm. They, they still scored on high volume with, very, with quite good efficiency. And Donovan Mitchell torched him. Uh, it was actually Gary Harris in, in, in the last two games of of the uh, series against Utah who came in and caused problems for Donovan Mitchell. And Grant, how well he did on offense just depended on how well he was shooting his threes that were created for him by others. Denver's third most important offensive player was Michael Porter Jr., who scored five less minutes in 200, excuse me, five less points than Jeremy Grant in 200 less minutes while creating a lot more of his own offense. Monte Morris scored uh, scored 50, I think 25 or some amount of points less in, uh, in, in 250 less minutes. He uh, and he created a great deal more of his own offense for others as well as himself. So Grant's just nothing special, you know. He's he's, he's a high level three and D and finished player who, and and Troy Weaver brought him here why so that he could improve himself on offense. It's like okay, well, depending on how you look at it with the stretch salary, if you want to attribute it to Grant because you know he was he was the majority of the expenditure between him and Plumlee, then you're paying him twenty four million dollars a year more or less. 
uh, da, 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 you're paying Plumlee twelve million dollars a year, or you're paying Plumlee ten and Grant twenty two. Whatever. I mean, that's a lot of money. But what's the upside for the Pistons? Grant comes in and you let him suck usage to work on his own offense. So you have three guys. You know, you have Rose, who's all about one on one. You have Griffin's all about one on one, and I guess now Grant too. Uh, if he's sucking up more than thirty minutes a game, almost certainly that that uh, at a position at which four of the team's six important young players play. And the potential benefit for the Pistons. Oh, and, you know, Andy's sucking up all that cap space. And the potential benefit for the Pistons is what? You know, what? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I mean, what is the potential benefit for the Pistons if he develops into a much better player, you know, into a better offensive creator? What's the benefit for the Pistons? And what's the benefit, you know, that could possibly justify the multitude, multiple, you know, multiple costs of bringing him in? A, a trade, I guess. I think that's the only thing is that, you know, you could flip him probably to a contender. Um, yeah, but we know that Weaver really likes the guy. What do you think the chances are yeah. that he actually trades Grant if he is playing that well? Well, judging by the the whole, you know, Arn Tellum, Derek Rose thing, this, the Pistons seem pretty loyal to the, like, the one of the ways they're getting these guys to come is through these promises, right? So with with Rose, it's like, hey, you know, you'll get a prominent role, like six man of the year type, type guy, and we're not just going to deal you without your permission. So now that you just said that, you're probably right. I don't think Grant is going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, the return versus the the various costs that, you know, it takes to keep them here, um, not looking great. I, I guess I can't think of one then. If we're not trading them, there, yeah. there's nothing. There's I think, really nothing. yeah, I think, I, I think we've seen in this offseason that Weaver also just really likes certain types of players. And I think Grant is here in part, and he was clearly the, you know, the, the plum target in the offseason sure. for, for Weaver. And I think that now that he's here, unless he has to be traded, I don't think Weaver will trade him if he's playing well. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like the Pistons aren't trying to win games right now. They probably won't be trying to win games next season. What he provides will not really be of substance. If he wins games, it's not a good thing. And let's say he improves. Uh, you know, he came here to bet on himself. He came here to bet on himself that, you know, to, okay, I can, you know, partially perhaps just because he wanted to have a larger role, probably to bet on himself. So, you know, at the age of 29, when he's going to, for his big contract, maybe he can get more money than he would get otherwise. And how the hell does that benefit the Pistons? It doesn't. I mean, yeah, maybe he resigns with the Pistons, but you're going to have to bid against other teams for him. So maybe he leaves. And if you do keep him, okay, well, you had his bird rights. Yay. You know, (laughs) that's basically all you've gotten out of the situation. You know, uh, maybe, maybe if you're trying to compete the year before, maybe if something really changes, that's different, but. You know, that, yeah, it's, I don't see, I mean, Tommy, do you see the, you know, the potential, you know, benefit on the piston side of the equation for all that they spent? I think we're thinking about this differently than Weaver does. We're thinking about this in like, well, I mean, ideally, if I, if, if we were going to keep Christian Wood, like I spent the whole summer talking about, we need to keep Christian Wood, we need to keep this modern offense going. And now I just said that, well, I think it'll result in more games. Maybe it's not the worst thing that he's not here right now. I think ideally, you would have kept Christian Wood and just signed a bunch of role players. You just run pick and rolls with Killian uh, or Halliburton, ideally. And then you kick out to guys on the perimeter, and that's how you play the season. You probably don't win that many games. But it seems like Weaver was intent on winning games and even more than that, signing guys that he knows are high character. I don't think it, it boils down to anything more than that. Like Everybody he signed, with the exception of what, maybe Jackson and Okafor on cheap deals – or guys that he's known for a long time, or guys that have like this reputation as being great locker room guys, guys that are going to uh, come in and establish a culture of hard work and defense. I think I think I told you earlier about how Edward, or, yeah, James Edwards said like Weaver wants to establish this defensive culture. He doesn't want to tank like the Knicks or pretty much every other tanking team where it's just you know play like garbage and uh, acquire draft capital and then you know you hope you get a few slam dunks in the, uh, in the draft. Well, and also and then you forgot, fo- yeah. you forgot focus on development, which is going to be harder with the veterans we were signed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, I mean, that's why I wanted to wait and see, cause it looks like Casey did get a talking to, and now uh, maybe we'll see a lot more rest days from uh, Griffin and Rose. That's still not ideal, but you can't really move Griffin's contract anyway. No, I really do think. I think, somebody... I think that's the priority for Weaver, bringing yeah. guys who are going to establish this culture and uh, so that you can make the most of, the guys that you bring in in the next few years and whether or not you agree with that being the priority. I mean, that's, that's what he's going for. I think uh, that's pretty clear to me. 
Yeah. I would have done it a different way, but no, we were has access to more interpersonal stuff than we see. So sure, but is it a good plan? That's the question. That his that is his plan. Is it a good plan? Uh, I think he might be a little bit excessively focused on culture and defense. My question. Yeah, that's my, a delicate my, balance. Yeah. What you say? Yeah, it's delicate balance exactly. Uh, and my my concern about seeing what Weaver has done is that you have a guy with a strong vision that he's going to pursue, and is that vision wise? And is he a guy who? It's just an excellent example of the Peter Principle. The Peter Principle says that everybody will be promoted, eventually promoted past their level of capability. Uh, you know, it's like, for example, Michael Scott in The Office is a great example of this mm-hmm. guy. Who was a, who was a, if you watch the show, you see he was a fantastic salesman and a horrible manager. So with Troy Weaver, was he a guy who was very good in certain roles in Oklahoma City as an assistant GM, but was much better off? Uh, was was much much better off ultimately not being in charge and reporting to a to a competent person above him. That that that's my concern, you know. And I think he is excessively focused on culture. I think that a lot of what he did didn't make sense, and and I'm concerned that he might not be entirely competent. Well, I guess we'll find out. I I, I totally agree with you, Mike. Like uh, you saw the exact same thing with uh, the Lions last regime, right? You've got guys with a vision. Sure, is the vision good? Right. Because realistically, it, it, it doesn't take anything special to stick to your uh, your initial plan. It's not that hard to come up with a plan and sticking to it, I guess, is really not that hard either. It just depends on if the plan is good or not. Uh, with the Lions, it was not. Um, and then unfortunately, I watched them lose 47 to 7. And then I turn on the Pistons game and I'm left to question what our plan is, too. Because really, like Casey and Weaver have got to get on the same page here. Because if the plan is to win games, you're not doing a good job at that. If the plan is to develop your young players, so far you're not doing a good job at that. I don't think. Not with in-game regular season reps. So what is the plan? And once we've identified it, is it good? And those are the questions that are probably going to define the next five years, realistically. So I'm at the precipice right now. and. Let's hope it kind of teeters where <laughs> the opposite to what the Lions did because I can't I can't do it I can't <laughs> do it with two teams. Yeah, so, yeah. Like you've got you've got Iserman in Detroit who is being given the space and absolutely is a competent GM. He built yeah. that Tampa Bay championship team. Yeah, and they've been one of the best teams uh, in the NHL in a long time thanks to his stewardship. So yeah, if you talk about a vision not working out, look at Stan Van Gundy. Stan Van Gundy's vision was was Andre Drummond as a centerpiece of his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, sorry, Stan, but that was your vision. No matter what you did, it wasn't going to work. Andre Drummond's a traditional center with, a, you know, with in a league that's evolving uh, toward spacing and offensive creation. Uh, who is terrible on offense? Has a terrible mentality, and so on and so forth. Is not going to be the centerpiece of a successful team. Neither is uh, is a duo of Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. Uh, you know, running a zillion pick and rolls at slow pace. And, you know, neither of whom have a shred of leadership among them and, and so on and so forth. It's like you said, having a vision doesn't mean it's going to succeed. No, it doesn't. I think, yeah, I think Weaver's vision is very questionable. And, and I like what you said about, you know, about DeLon Wright and Casey. It's like, yeah, I kind of shuddered when I saw that trade because I'm like, Casey's going to play him 20 plus minutes no matter what happens. Oh, I was, I was furious when I saw it because to yeah. me, I'm not seeing DeLon Wright. I'm just seeing this is a placeholder. And this is an obstacle for players that I want to see getting actual meaning. I just knew. I, as soon as I saw that DeLon Wright was on the team, it ruined my day. It's a, it's a like, Dwayne Casey favorite too. Sure it is, yeah. And this is going to this is going to drastically impact the rotations. I know it yeah. is. And, you know, 40-whatever minutes in, in a game that went to double overtime. And what have you done? What have you done for the betterment of this organization with that guy playing those minutes? Virtually nothing. Yeah. Also... Yeah, you've done nothing, uh, and it's like it's, it's a like Also, you you bring in Brighton Grants, you're almost guaranteed to have you know with Casey to have four veterans in the starting lineup, and sure. that is an insane and situation. Go around. There's only so minutes to go around, and every yeah. minute that's going to Jeremy Grant, that's going to Delon Wright, that's going to Mason Plumley, are minutes that are not going to the guys that you've invested your future in at those positions. They're not. So you're you're just left to wonder. Is this a Detroit Lions situation? Is this a Red Wings situation? I don't know. Because, yeah, like we said, it's one thing to have a strong vision. It's another thing uh, to have that vision work relative to the rest of the league, right? Do you have a better vision than the other 29 general managers? Because the Lions did not. Um, The Red Wings, in my opinion, do. 
uh, and I'm I'm a Leafs fan, so I I, oh dear. I got the misfortune of the one Detroit sports team that succeeded in my lifetime. I was not a fan of, you yeah. know. And I liken the Leafs to the 76ers, where you've got these great young pieces, but you've not quite been able to put them together for a championship. Um, maybe due to fit, maybe due to character, I don't know. But the point is, it's like you said, the Red Wings are headed in the right direction. In my opinion, the Tigers are headed in the right direction too with the strong farm team. Um, I don't know about the Pistons. And it's going to remain to be seen. And Tommy, I like your optimism. I know you had mentioned earlier, it's kind of going to depend on what they do moving forward. Because like you said, now now Blake and, Blake and Rose are out tonight. So clearly we're going to have to see more of the young guys just out of necessity. So I'm hoping that it changes throughout the season. Um, yeah. I don't know. Absolutely yeah. agree. No. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, we're, we're unfortunately not actually going to get a chance to talk about uh, about the young guys since we're, we're pretty much running over time here. Right. Or, uh, probably best actually for us to leave that for the next episode because, yeah. you yeah. know, because they're going to uh, actually get some playing time tonight. Yeah, hopefully. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm me excited. too. Right. So, yeah, so we'll just end this episode with, uh, with what we'll be doing probably going forward uh, pretty regularly, what we'll call Blake Griffin uh, Trade Value Watch. Now, of course, it'd be great to see Blake Griffin trade this season. Uh, that's going to depend on him playing very well. You look at Blake, here's his issue. He's paid an enormous amount of money. He's injury prone. And just based on the way he plays, it's very unlikely that on any contender, he's going to, his fit into the system is going to produce anything, you know, is going to produce a value commensurate with his cap hit. So the guy's got to play very well if the Pistons want really an even shot of trading him. There's also the complications about matching salaries and whatnot. But We'll just look at how well Blake Griffin is playing. The answer right now is not well. Do not look at his last game where he's shooting a bunch of pull-up threes on high percentage and think that it's him playing well. He's not going to hit those on high percentage every game. He has looked, he has been unable to drive to the baskets. He has looked very bad in the post where he's just been twirling and, and dipping and throwing up bad shots. And these are against bad teams. And Griffin has legitimately had a year, a year to recover. So it's entirely, unfortunately, it is entirely possible that the two knee surgeries he has had since he last played a healthy game with the Pistons, uh, which were number three and number four on that particular knee, have lowered his ceiling further. So unless the guy picks up his play significantly, uh, he's going nowhere. So uh, in any event, that'll be it for today's episode. Thank you, Dante, for coming. Hope to have you again back here soon. Thanks for having and me. yeah, as, as always, I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.